Greetings, Baha'i Blogcast listeners. It's me, Rain Wilson, sending all of my love and gratitude to the several dozen of you that tune in to these episodes. I love saying that because then I get to hear from people and they say, I'm one of the dozens. I'm one of the several dozens that listens. I actually listen to these podcasts. So that's a, it's a nice connection. It's kind of a thing we have. It's kind of like Howard Stern and his audience. Anyway, this podcast that we're releasing today is from another time. It's from another land. It's from another place. It's uh, incredible. It was recorded in March, early mid-March, maybe during the fast, I think, we we taped it uh, with Dara Feldman. She came by my house. She was in Los Angeles. And it was just a day or two before the entire country shut down due to our global pandemic. And then just a few months before this social justice revolution has been happening on the streets of America and all over the world. And boy, does it feel like another time. So apologies that the pandemic's not referenced, that social justice, you know, directly is not referenced in this conversation. But throw your minds back to early March when it was a very different world and we were having an entirely different set of discussions. However, I want to say, and I mean this with all sincerity, what we're focusing our discussion on in this podcast is of universal relevance. And this has to do with virtues and virtues-based education. Dara Feldman is an extraordinary teacher. She was a teacher for 16 years. She was a Disney-nominated best elementary school teacher. She's won many awards. She's written uh, books. She does lectures and uh, for many years was on the board of the Virtues Project. It was the Virtues Project started by Linda Cavillan Popov and her brother that brought Dara to the Baha'i faith and has inspired her work ever since. And I can't tell you the level of awe and respect that I hold for this project, the Virtues Project. They've created an app, which I really demand that all of you download immediately, the Virtues app. It's easy to share with people. There's all kinds of like games and interactive tools on the app. It's fantastic. Um, check out her book, but most importantly, check out this discussion, which is all about her story and her work on the virtues and using the virtues. So thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to Baha'i Blogcast with me, your host, Rain Wilson. This is where I interview members of the Baha'i faith and other friends from all over the world about their hearts and minds and souls, their spiritual journeys, what they're interested in, and what makes them tick. Enjoy. Dara. Yeah, thank you for your thoughtfulness. Dara, not Dara. Oh, please, let's not go there. No, no, the first way. Dara. Yes, sir. Dare I say, I'm I'm so excited to have you on the Baha'i Blogcast tonight, and there's so much I want to talk to you about. Your story is fascinating. Your work as an educator is fascinating. What you're doing with now the Virtues Matter project, kind of the next phase of the of the Virtues project, is, is truly exciting. But let's start at the beginning. Can you give us the, the nutshell version of your life growing up and who you are for people who don't know you? 
Sure, so you started with nutshell. You're calling me a little bit nutty. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I am super grateful to be with you. I'm so excited. I am a recovering kindergarten teacher. Okay, what does you know, that mean? That means that I was born with a whole lot of enthusiasm, mm -hmm. and I've known that I wanted to be a teacher ever since I was eight years old. Um, we were talking a little bit earlier. Uh, permission to be personal? Please. You know? So um, when I was five, I was sexually abused by a babysitter, and I ate to stuff my feelings of shame. I didn't realize that. Wow. And wow. so I was a chunky kid, and when I was in second grade, my mom had cancer. She told me, and she told me not to tell anyone. But what do seven-year-olds do? They tell everyone. Oh. So more shame. Mm -hmm. And then when I was in third grade, my mom started her journey with alcoholism. Mm. And my behavior, you know, I was acting out. I was eating to stuff my feelings. And my nickname was Bahama Mama. My friends used to beat me up on the playground. And my third grade teacher, Mrs. O'Leary, loved me at a time when I felt unlovable. Mm -hmm. And she let me stay in and grade papers and write on this thing called a chalkboard. For those of you who are young, listening, you don't know what it is, you can <laughs> Google it. Anyways, and I knew ever since I was eight that I wanted to be a teacher because I wanted my students to know that they were loved. Well, fast forward, I grew up, okay, not really, but I got older, went to University of Maryland, got a teaching degree, and started teaching. I ended up marrying someone who had the disease of alcoholism. Mm, okay. Because when you grow up with the, an alcoholic family, you either become one or marry um, one. You get, you, you, you get used to it, used to that dynamic. Yeah, of, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Addicted to excitement in all of our affairs, preferring constant upset to workable relationships. I was mm. always trying, you know, I thought if I loved my husband good enough, that would be good enough and he would stop drinking. Right. And I thought if I loved my students, that that would be good enough. Mm -hmm. And so I don't really think that I had high enough expectations for some of my kids in my younger days. And in addition to that, you know, I, I was anorexic for years, bulimic for 17 years. And I've been free from all of that because I've been doing 12-step work. I've been mm. in Al-Anon for 30 years for families of alcoholics. I've been in Overeaters Anonymous for 24 years, free from binging, purging, and starving, one day at a time by the grace of God for 23 years. And I'm grateful. Mm. Like, I would go back through all of that. And I've always thought that everyone could benefit from the 12 steps. And then in 2005, I was honored as Disney's Elementary Teacher of the Year and found out about the Virtues Project. Wow. And that's five strategies. So that's basically being able to bring 12-step work everywhere for people who either need it or don't need it yet. Now, I've gone into this a little bit uh, on this podcast, and I'm a huge believer in the 12-step programs uh, I truly believe they were divinely sent. Um, when you read the story of Bill W. having had this kind of spiritual awakening that he saw, had when he saw this vision at the foot of his bed and everything kind of clicked in his head and he wrote the big book and it's brought, you know, solace and, uh, and sobriety and recovery and, and spirituality because it's, it's a spiritual program to millions and millions of people around the globe. I mean, it is it is, in some ways what I wish the Baha'i faith could be in that it um, has just swept the globe uh, so virally. But can you talk a little bit about, and I want to hear your story about how you came up Baha'i, but before we do that, like, can you talk a little bit about how the, the 
in your mind, your working of the 12 steps sync up with the Baha'i faith? Oh, absolutely. So in the Baha'i faith, you know, we learn that we're all created noble. Mm -hmm. And because of the shame and the trauma, trauma, yeah, Mm -hmm. all of that. Thank you. Um, You know, I felt like I was worthless. I mm-hmm. thought I had to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning just to breathe the same air that everyone else did. Mm-hmm. And through working the 12 steps, coming to understand that I'm powerless over certain things, not mm-hmm. that I have no power, but really humbling myself mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. opening myself out to the bounty of the love of the Creator. Mm-hmm. Right? Steps 2 and 3 are came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity mm-hmm. and then made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that, I believe that we all have access to the divine. We don't need to have a a religion necessarily. I feel like the the guidance from Baha'u'llah and God helps us to live in the 21st century, or at least it does for me. Uh And that the 12 steps provides a framework for us to clear away the wreckage of our past right. when we do a fourth step mm-hmm. well every night we're taught to you know take account each day right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so the fourth step is to do this inventory and then the tenth step is to do it on a daily basis mm-hmm. so that's connected mm-hmm. and um there's a whole lot of like the 11th step is the prayer and meditation right Mm-hmm. Obligatory prayer, like we got to pray every day, right? And actually, I pray like all day, every day. Okay, God, what do you want me to say right now? You want me to be quiet? Okay. <laughs> did that answer your question? No, it did. And there, there's, <laughs> you know, there's there's more than that. I mean, there's, um, you know, there's the sixth and seventh step about you know finding your character defects and praying them away and giving those away is very much in alignment with by faith and the fact that the central tenet of you know the the 12 traditions is service and service to others and that's right in alignment and one Absolutely. thing that you left out in the third step is made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God so as we understood God to me seems very much in alignment Personal with the individual investigation of truth that everyone needs to find God for themselves. We don't inherit the God of our parents and we don't inherit whatever God is from our, from our culture. So, um, that's part of it as well. Yeah. And the sunlight of the spirit, you know, it just, there's such parallel tracks Mm -hmm. and I think it really was so working. I was raised Jewish Mm -hmm. and as a Jew, I really didn't understand why we didn't believe in Jesus because he was Jewish, like hello, and I never understood. You could have been a Jew for Jesus. They used to assemble been. in Times Square. Actually, I have a neighbor that is one. Yeah, but that do they yeah. still have the blue T-shirts? Mm, I don't know. She has a lot of bumper stickers all over her car. I once though. did a movie where there was a character who was like a Jew for Jesus, and it was like this joke kind of running through the movie, like oh boy, Jew for Jesus. And as I was doing the movie, I was like, it's really not a joke. I mean, that's what Baha'is are. Baha'is are Jews for Jesus. And Jews for Muhammad, and Jews for the Buddha, and Jews for Baha'u'llah. We're, you know what I mean? Yeah. We're, we're all of that. I don't know that it's anything to ridicule. Anyway. No, absolutely. Well, they, they have a very strong belief. And there are many Jews for Jesus, actually. I think there's like a little center right around the corner from where I live. But along with that, not understanding, I was like, okay, 
God only talks to man once? Like, I don't really, that didn't jive with me. Right. And then, no offense to the Jewish writings, but in the Torah, I was looking for the guidance to be the best person that I could be. Mm. And I couldn't find it there. Mm. Mm -hmm. And it was really through the writings of the Baha'i faith that I saw the guidance. And it was really funny. So... I'm a baby Baha'i. Okay, I know I have to stop saying that. Nine years. Nine years almost, right? So when you hit 10, you have to stop saying you're a baby Baha'i. Okay, good. (laughs) Have one more year. Yes. So I'm in elementary school. And it was interesting. I went to my rabbi when I was exploring the faith. And I told him that I was exploring the Baha'i faith. And Rabbi Fred goes, oh, that Bob, he's got it going on. So he knew about the faith, right? And he must have told people in the community because then they started emailing me like all these quotes from Jewish sacred traditions about the virtues. And I'm reading them and no offense, but I'm like, you all are pushing me to the other side. Mm -hmm. And then my synagogue was having a retreat around the Midot, which are virtues. And I was not participating in that retreat. I was at a fireside with a friend of mine, and she was actually talking, aligning the 12 steps and the faith and talking about some other things, and she had been raised Jewish. And after she finished sharing, I said, okay, I'm not going to use the word veils because veils is a Baha'i word. This used to be an issue, and this used to be an issue, but it's not an issue anymore, so what am I supposed to do? And they're all looking at me. I'm like, okay, fine, I declare. And they get all excited, and I go up to the bathroom, because that's where God and I have our conversation. What's what's this about God speaks to you in the bathroom? Yes, so God needs to get my attention on a regular basis, so he instilled in me a very tiny bladder. So... After the moment I declared, everybody's all excited, and I went up to the ladies' room, and I said, and please do not, I hope this doesn't offend anyone, I said, hey, dude, I don't feel any different. And he goes, because this is who you've always been. Hmm. And I said, ah, got it. And I walked downstairs. And then when I told my dad, like I was afraid to tell my dad because I was raised Jewish. I thought it was going to be like Fiddler on the Roof all over again. Uh Uh-huh. And my dad goes, oh, I had a cousin that was a Baha'i. And I'm thinking, that's all you got for me? <laughs> well, um, I have just found out recently that my dad didn't realize it was a religion. Oh. <laughs> but he's still cool with it. He's he thought still... it was a club or something? Yeah, or... he didn't know. I don't know. Yeah. Toastmasters, whatever. So how did you hear about the Baha'i faith? Is there anything else to that story yeah. about that conversion? Yeah. So, I hate to use the word conversion, yeah, not but conversion. for lack of a better word. It's Judaism 4.0, Rain. Okay. Okay, I just, you know. Just took it up to recent times. So I found out about the Baha'i faith really through the Virtues Project. I um, had somebody, I found out about the Virtues Project in Disney. I was really... So you were Disney Teacher of the Year. You won an award and you were... Elementary Teacher Okay, Elementary Teacher of the Year, but you were feted and lauded for that. And somehow through that, you you discovered the Virtues Project? Yeah, so actually, it's a really, for me, it's a fun story. Um, I was in the boat in Disney World with the overall Disney Teacher of the Year, David Vixie. And I asked him, I said, David, what in your repertoire speaks to you the most? And he pulled out his worn leather wallet, and he pulled out this tattered card, like the size of a business card, with all these virtues on it and a website. And I went, (gasps) 
that's why I went into education. Like all of the amnesia of No Child Left Behind went away. And I went back up to my hotel room and I ordered everything off the website. And then I started blowing up the founder's email with like passion. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. want to do this. And this is the Virtues Project this started Virtues by Project. Linda Cavlin Popoff and her brother. John Cavlin, who at the time was a Disney Imagineer, Rain. He so was the, still in was Disney a, Tokyo. A Disney connection at the, at the time. Wow. Big time. Mm-hmm. And so like John, God rest his soul, passed away 10 years ago. And he's always around. Like I see mouse ears in the most amazing times. But anyways, so... You won't find any at my house. I know you've been looking. No, I'll find them. There's no Disney here. No, no, no. I'll tell you. There'll be like there'll be like three coffee cups. See right up there? There's like one and then two <laughs> in the center. Anyways, so I was really struck by the project and I wanted. I knew I wanted to get trained. I knew the reason that I had received the Disney honor had nothing to do with me being a better teacher than anybody. But God really wanted me to like do something. And No Child Left Behind was just was taking the spirituality and the joy, meaning, and purpose out of teaching and learning. Mm. So ended up having a woman come who came from California. She came to Maryland to train us, and she had us do a guided meditation. And after the meditation, one of my friends, Lisa, sat up and she said, I was just guided to explore the Baha'i faith. And then all of a sudden... This group of these little Persian women, I didn't know we had so many Persian people in Bethesda, they circled around her and a blonde woman from the United States, and they took her to the corner. And I'm like, what just happened? (laughs) Like, okay. That sounded kind of weird and culty to me all of a sudden. It really was. Well, then she starts like sending me quotes and inviting me to devotionals and to firesides and giving me a prayer book. And I'm doing the same thing, but it's all about the Virtues Project. Okay. Right? And so by this point, have you incorporated the Virtues Project into your teaching? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was, I, I had been teaching using the Virtues Project, totally changed my life as a teacher. And then. I would come home at the end of the evening to my 13 and 16-year-old, and I forgot that I knew about the Virtues Project, and I would just rage all over them. They were fighting with each other and yelling, and so I would yell at them. And then I remembered that when Linda was on Oprah, Oprah said of the family guide that it's the instruction manual that our kids didn't come with. Mm. So when I had presence of mind to remember that, I called a family meeting. Have you ever had a family meeting? Yes. Oh, yes, they're fun, yeah, aren't yes, they? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We did those for several years with Walter, and we would do, we would do virtues. We would do a family virtues guide, and we would kind of have virtue of the week. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I wasn't that aware at the time. I was just angry, so I pulled a family meeting, and um, I said, "Do you all want to read about setting family ground rules, or shall I?" And my kids said, "You do it." And so I read pages 31 to 33 in the family guide. And then we picked a virtue that we each wanted to bring into our family. Mm. And we did a process. I, I'll, I could go on and on, but I'll call on moderation. And we put the four virtues up on the refrigerator and just green pieces of paper. And I started noticing when the children were demonstrating virtues. And I wrote them on the paper. Mm. And within two days... It shifted our family dynamics. Wow, that's powerful. Peace was restored. My son is a football player. My daughter is a dancer. We have one television. Monday nights are a problem. 
Mm-hmm. Right? There's Monday Night Football okay. and Dancing with Stars. Okay. Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> so my husband and I went out, and this was shortly after we'd been implementing the virtue strategies, and the kids started blowing up our cell phones. They were fighting because they wanted to watch TV. I said, all right, you know, we've already decided what respect looks like in our home. You know what you need to do. Go get yourselves peaceful, respectful, and when you can come back and figure it out, figure it out when you're calm. Hung up. The next morning, we're having breakfast, and I said, so what happened last night? They're like, we figured it out. I said, okay, well, what was it? So Jake decided he was going to watch the end of the game because the score is important, and Danny would watch the beginning. And I said, well, what virtue helped you to do that? And they looked at each other, and they said, flexibility. Okay. And then they high-fived each other, and they're like, this really works. Wow, that's amazing. That's great. So it totally shifted. So how does that, so walk me through, you're in that phase of your life more towards your becoming a Baha'i. All right. So I was not going to change teams. I was loving being my reconstructionist Jewish self, going to my 12-step meetings, but I was volunteering my time to the founders of the Virtues Project as director of education and talking with them. So I'm surrounded by Baha'is, mm-hmm. right? And now Lisa, my best friend, she's sharing things. And I'm reading this little magic prayer book. Mm-hmm. But I skipped the first page, the part that says, Intone, O my servant, the verses of God that have been received by thee, and intone by them who have drawn nigh unto him, that the sweetness of thy melody may kindle thine own soul and attract the hearts of all men. Whoso reciteth in the privacy of his or her chamber the verses revealed by God, the scattering of the angels of the Almighty shall scatter abroad the fragrance of the words uttered by his mouth and shall cause the heart of every righteous man to throb though he may at first remain unaware of its effect yet the virtue of the grace vouchsafed unto him must need sooner or later exercise its influence upon his soul thus have the mysteries of the revelation of god been decreed by virtue of the will of him who is the source of power and wisdom, Baha'u'llah. Beautiful. So this is the disclaimer. If you choose to read the prayers in here... It's going to have an effect on your soul, whether you know it or not. They will mess you up. You will (laughs) never be allowed to walk around the street and see a piece of paper on the street without picking it up. Okay. You can never walk by someone without noticing them. And being kind and gentle, especially the folks who other people may just pass on the street. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, it just had this like soul liberating effect. And then they invited me to the Ruhi. Okay. One. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was your typical Jewish person going, I was fighting, argumentative, not in a bad way, but just, you know, yeah. seeking to mm-hmm. understand. Mm-hmm. And. In my past life career in the 90s, I was a technology specialist. Mm -hmm. I also went to the University of Maryland, and I was born in Baltimore. And so in the accompaniment phase of Rohi One, a gentleman by the name of John said, You know, Dara, the first Morse code was sent from the University of Maryland to Baltimore. 
And it was really talking about, you know, how we have this oneness of humanity, we're shrinking the world and the whole thing. And there was just so many coincidences. Ha ha. There are no coincidences, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And God winks that I just, I just, it, I was having a hard time having the self-discipline to not become a Baha'i. And then when John Kavlin, the one of the founders of the Virtues Project, passed away, um, he called me into the restroom, not God this time, and said, you know, Dara, it's Not really, literally. Not literally, but, you know, spiritually. Okay. And he said, it's really time for you to explore the Baha'i faith. Well, I came out and I told maybe um, Linda's, one of Linda's kids, and he must have told other people, and I'm at the airport, and they start ringing my phone and, and celebrating me for declaring, and I hadn't yet declared. <laughs> so I'm like, what is this cult? <laughs> that, that sent me back a few years. But then after the prayer and meditation, the quotes from the Jews that were pushing me to the other side, I finally just, I declared, and I'm so grateful because talk about coherence. Mm -hmm. I sit in circle all the time. I sit in circle in 12-step meetings. I facilitate restorative justice, you know, sessions in schools, sitting in circles. I sit in circles in Baha'i gatherings. I get to be my full self, mm -hmm. and I don't have to apologize anymore. Incredible, Dara. Um, so now, for those listeners that might not know very much about the Virtues Project, of course, I did an episode with Linda Cavillan Popoff, who's over in her Pacific Island somewhere, which was a beautiful conversation. She's an amazing woman. Um, but can you bring us up to speed on what the Virtues Project is, like for dummies, like the 101 version? What's the, what's the three-minute kind of basics? Yeah, so Virtues Project simplicity. We'll use a virtue. So the Virtues Project is Baha'i-inspired, mm -hmm. right? It was founded by Baha'is 31 years ago when they were talking about how tragic it is that kids are killing themselves and others. Short story is it was a lack of meaning and purpose. And okay. the founders researched all the cultures, oral traditions, and sacred texts of the world. And what they found that was common to all of us were the virtues. So they thought, how can we awaken and strengthen them in our children? And they came up with five strategies. The first strategy is speaking the language of virtues. Mm -hmm. So instead of just saying, good job, it might be saying, oh, I see your determination working through that hard problem without giving up. Mm -hmm. Right? It's using the virtue and the evidence. The second strategy is recognizing teachable moments. So when oopses occur, um, Instead of shaming and blaming, we actually use virtues to bring us back. And okay, so let me stop you there. So tonight you were witness to my son who was late because his tutor was from his track meet. His tutor was here waiting, and I told him to be here before 7, which maybe was giving a little too much responsibility to a 15-year-old. But um, he was with his friends and their parents and stuff like that. And, and then he came at 7 and forgot his backpack and his cello in the van of a friend's dad that he had no idea how to get in touch with. We didn't have a cell number or anything like that. So we had to chase around Agora Hills and uh, track this down. So he was he was late, he wasn't prepared, and he left his $3,000 cello in a stranger's car. And so what would be, and we had a nice conversation about it, it's all, it's all good, but 
what would how what's a teachable moment there for him with these kind of typical 15-year-old errors that he made? Yeah, absolutely. So that's a thoughtful question. So it's, you know what, Walter, perhaps you need to be a little bit more mindful or what will help you to be mindful mm-hmm. to remember So that's a virtue, too. mindfulness. Yeah, okay. so inviting him and then what the evidence is. And then so there's virtues for him, but there's also virtues for us. Mm-hmm. as parents. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you an example. Um, do you know anybody who's stubborn? No. No one, Gosh. right? So, so in y'all listening, you can do this as well. I want you to think of just that one person and say three times, you're so stubborn and notice where you feel it in your body, mm-hmm. right? So let's say it together. Ready? Okay. You're, you're so, so stubborn. stubborn. You're so stubborn. You're so stubborn. Point to where you feel it in your body, Rain. You feel it in your shoulders. A lot of people feel it down like their solar plexus. Now, if we reframe and rename stubbornness, the virtue of stubbornness is determination. Right. Okay, so that's a teachable moment. It's also reframing and renaming. So think of that same person, Mm -hmm. and this time say, you're so determined. Let's say it three times. And notice where you feel it. You're so so determined. determined. You're so so determined. determined. You're so so determined. determined. You really are a kindergarten teacher. Where do you feel it? Kindergarten teacher. Where do you feel it? More here. In your heart. Yeah, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's amazing. Everything is energy and it's just, it's a slight shift. Right. But it takes time. So it takes virtues on all sides. Parents, kids, etc. So So I interrupted. What are the other strategies? So the third strategy is setting clear boundaries based on restorative justice. So it's first identifying what are going to be, you know, virtues-based boundaries. And when we aren't living within those boundaries, then what are the natural consequences? But also, what can be done to make amends Mm -hmm. when we go off course and to, instead of making us think that we are a mistake, know that we've made a mistake, but then to make amends and be brought back into community. And there's a whole lot of folks who are doing restorative justice around the world right now, but the founders were just so forward thinking because they got it from the Maori people who have been doing it for so long. Mm. And it has... How did they get it from the Maori people? Can you you explain? That's a really great question. Or not even how, like... In what respect did they get it from the Maori people? So the Maoris have been using restorative practices and restorative justice for a long time. And so in the retributive justice, it's like, okay, you're a detective. Who did it and what's the punishment, Mm. right? But in restorative justice, it's about relationships, the relationships that have been harmed or broken. And it's how can we, you know, understand maybe the virtue that was missing, strengthen that virtue and help that person to remember their inherent nobility and bring them back to their full self and bring them back into community. Mm, mm. And there's a lot of restorative practices and a lot of restorative justice going on. I actually teach it. I used to work for an organization who's doing that. But they miss the starting with the honoring the nobility of everyone. Right. And they forget oftentimes about closing it off by making amends and bringing people back to community. Mm-hmm. So that's the third strategy, mm-hmm. setting clear boundaries. The fourth strategy is honoring the spirit. Right, and that's all about meaning and purpose. Um, it's could be prayer, meditation. It could be humor. It mm-hmm. could be you know sitting here talking with you, prayers, art, whatever floats your gondola. You know mm-hmm. that's that's honoring the spirit. 
or even school spirit, right? And then the last strategy is the companioning process. It's a seven-step counseling technique to lead someone to their own solution. Linda did many things. She was a psychiatric social worker. She was also a spiritual caregiver in hospice. And what she learned was when someone's dying, that you can't really make them feel better, but you can keep them company. We don't use the word why, but we use the word what. You know, what are you most afraid of? What's the hardest part? Or even, what are you most excited about? You give space to listen. And as a dad of a teenager, Mm -hmm. that is the greatest gift, Mm -hmm. right? Mm. So those are the five strategies. And then there's the virtues. And um, you had asked me, what does it look like? Okay. In action, right? So in parenting, maybe use the language to say, instead of yelling, clean up your room, how many times have I told you to clean up your room? It's please be orderly and put your dirty clothes in the hamper and close your closet door. Maybe in the business, it's about creating a culture of appreciation. Mm. And so starting and ending each meeting, maybe with a virtues pick using the virtues cards or the virtues cards app to randomly pick a virtue, read it, and then have people share how it connects with them Mm. and then give other people acknowledgments. So don't just say thank you if somebody stays late. Say thank you for your flexibility and generosity of time Mm. staying late Mm. and meeting with me. Oh, that's great. That's amazing. I was just reading an article today in the New York Times about how there's a crisis in America in, and it's so funny how all of the different systems basically in our culture are all breaking down. But one of them that's breaking down is sports, believe it or not, sports with teenagers. Hmm. More and more teenagers are dropping out of sports and not sticking with it. And they talked about how it's a crisis of coaching. Like the coaching is all wrong-headed. Yes, exactly. Yeah. She's they can't see you on I'm the podcast. I'm punching. I'm punching my yeah, fist. So it's a, Use your um, imagination. Exactly. I trust that you have creativity <laughs> in you. <laughs> Honor, see, you just honored their creativity. Yes, I did. So that the coaches are all about winning. And they had all of these stories of coaches berating 10-year-olds. And you lose a game and you have to run wind sprints. And you know, instead of creating a culture of learning, teamwork, and appreciation, and... Um, I noticed this very much with Walter growing up as we we tried to get him involved in sports, but as soon as it was like coaches yelling and it was, you know, we had this one guy who was amazing. It was a, he was, he was an okay coach. He was a good coach, but his son was on the team and his son was the star of the team and really good. And he would be like, okay, good job, you guys. You know, keep going. And then he would take his son. And he's like, you little so-and-so, God damn it. And he would like curse his 10-year-old son out until he was almost on the verge of tears. And it was so toxic. It was such a toxic world that my son, when we tried baseball and soccer and various sports, he, he couldn't he couldn't even participate. And and now we see it. There's, the, there's a result. So it seems like coaching and the world of sports in the United States could really benefit from the Virtues Project. I love you. Yes. So... I'm really sorry that that happened to Walter. You know, when we're like yelling at people and we get anxiety, we go into amygdala hijack, right? We can't access our frontal lobes and we're not able to think straight. So right? we're more in our base part of our brain, yeah, the that more rev- evolved part. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so you can't think and you can't perform that way. You reminded me of two things. When I was, um, when my daughter was a senior in high school, she was captain of the Pommy squad, the dance team. Mm-hmm. And their coach quit and she called me one day and said mom would you be our coach 
like who wants their mommy to be around when they're a senior, right? So I actually decided, sure, I'll be your coach. And we took, I took the 20 girls. We had a, a stay up all night party, not a slumber party. And the seniors took the set of the educator cards or the virtues cards and they went through with the underclassmen and they each chose six virtues that they wanted to be about as a squad. Mm. And then they would, maybe they were in groups of three, then sixes, and then all 20 girls. And it came up with, it's been a long time, but I think it was love, enthusiasm, unity, cooperation, excellence. And there was one more. And so... As Danny led the team and Lindsay, the other the other captain, it was never like yelling at them. It might be, okay, girls, what's going to help us have more enthusiasm? What's going to help us have unity? And in January, it's the seniors are finding out that they're getting into college and it's competition season and finals. And so it was the first time where the girls were starting to get rah, 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 and not getting along. And the one senior who at the beginning of our time together was a little skeptical about Mm -hmm, the virtues, mm -hmm. she said, Dara, we need to pull a unity circle. I said, knock yourself out. So she read the unity card, and each of the girls went around the circle and just shared what was on their mind and hearts. No crosstalk. And then when they were done, they left. There was one more round, and it was left with two girls to work things out. It was really beautiful. Mm. And the girls ended up winning every possible award that year. And they never, that wasn't their intention. It wasn't to win the awards, but because they focused on those oh, virtues. Oh, that's great. It was yeah. really, really powerful. Right, right. Oh, that's fantastic. So you worked with the Virtues Project, and your husband and you now are also working on Virtues Matter. What is Virtues Matter? How do you and your husband work on it? And tell us a a little about the app. Yeah, so thank you for your thoughtfulness asking that question. So Virtues Matter, my husband comes from sustainability and we used to joke that he's about the planet, I'm about the people, and we joined forces um, last January. And he thought he was just making an app. And I said, no, 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 honey. The Virtues Project is so much more than an app. And so in my, I had volunteered my time to the founders of the Virtues Project for seven years as director of education. When they retired, they asked me and three other women to turn it into a nonprofit, the Virtues Project um, International Association. And I was the founding chair, but I'm not a chair. I'm a teacher, right? So I left the board to be able to facilitate the work. And my daughter, I trained her as a facilitator, so she's been doing this in education. And Dave joined me. And so now our son, Jake, as well, we have started Virtues Matter, where it's really about uplifting humanity, bringing joy, meaning, and purpose to life, and getting the five strategies of the Virtues Project out there and the Virtues Viral, right? Mm -hmm. The world is asking for it now. So we do it. One is by the app that we created. What's it called? So it's called Virtues Cards, and it's actually a free app. So you can download it on Google Play or the App Store, and it loads with right now 50 50 sample cards Mm -hmm. from four different decks. And then if there's a deck that you like, you can go to the shop and for 99 cents or $1.99 for the reflection cards, you can buy the entire 100 cards. Mm. And the way that we love to use them is you just shake your phone 
and a virtue randomly comes up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's either an invitation to practice the virtue or it's an affirmation. We um, designed it so that you can share it via social media or text, WhatsApp. And it's a way that, you know, think about with what's happening with this virus right now, people are going to be somewhat isolated. So mm. to be able to do a virtues pick, send it on a text or a chat message to your friends, and then you can also, you all can start talking about how that virtue resonates with you, mm -hmm. right? It's just mm -hmm. really, really uplifting. Mm. It's never to beat yourself up with. It's okay. just, it's just mm -hmm. a guidance for the day. Right on. And are there other ways that you're... Um helping get the virtues out into into schools? Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for that thoughtful question. My book is called The Heart of Education. Yes, I was going to ask you about that. It's, it's The Heart of Education, Bringing Joy, Meaning, and Purpose Back to Teaching and Learning. I love how you yeah, say that. Yeah, oh, yeah. With enthusiasm. Yeah, yeah, so I wrote that six years ago. It focuses on the five strategies of the Virtues Project in Education, and it weaves in other people like Carol Dweck and Daniel Pink and Gallup Poll and all of those. I put the book on my website, darafeldman.com, under About and My Book. The whole PDF is up there and the audio, you can access it for free. And if you don't want to listen to me squeak for seven hours, you, <laughs> you can slow it down and then it'll just be nine hours, become, yeah, okay. right? So it's fine. But I really wanted to get that out there so that all educators around the world could implement the strategies. We're also focusing on the virtue strategies in leadership and in business and conscious leadership. Um, John Mackey, who started Whole Foods and Conscious Capitalism, he's writing a book about the virtues right now wow. as well. And so it's top of mind, yeah. right? It's just five strategies. It's not an add-on. Now, how do you deal with some people... Uh, some schools will teach, let's say, character traits but or leadership traits, um, but they won't teach like virtues because their virtues has a kind of a spiritual and religious kind of ring to it. Like, thou art a virtuous person or whatever. How do you how do you deal with that in the outside world and in different educational systems? Yes, darling, good discernment. So 15 years ago when I started down this road, that was absolutely true. And when people would bring me in to do professional development, I'm like, please don't say virtues project. Don't say virtues. And I would just show everybody a list of the words of the virtues. Mm -hmm. And I would say, okay, take a look at this list. Do you think these are important? And they would say yes. And I said, okay, so if you were going to label them, what might you call them? And they would say character traits or other things. And I said, okay. And I said, um, how many of you all respect Dr. Mar Martin Luther King Jr.? They're like, we do. I said, did you know that he was a reverend? And then I'd say, and how about Mother Teresa? Right? So I would just mm -hmm, go down mm -hmm. and I said, so just take a breath. I'm going to tell you what we call these. And... They're virtues. And the definition for the Virtues Project it are universal positive qualities of character. Mm, mm, right? And mm -hmm. so I used to have to do that dance. Mm -hmm. I no longer have to do that dance mm -hmm. because people are understanding that these are virtues and that we need them. So what else can you tell me about Virtues Matter? Yeah, so I'm really grateful that David joined me on this journey and our son, Jake. So Virtues Matter, in addition to developing the Virtues Cards app, we are developing online 
courses and live events. We do trainings around the world. It's really focusing, Davis focusing on leadership and social responsibility and sustainability. Our son Jake is getting ready to go to medical school. And so he's working with folks in healthcare really to combat um, compassion fatigue and trauma. And our daughter is doing this in education. She is all about social justice. And if you go to virtuesmatter.com, there's going to be more and more that we're going to develop. And we welcome to do this in unity with everyone. Oh, that's fantastic. And recently you spent a month uh, in India at the City Montessori School in Lucknow. Why were you there and what was that about? Oh my God, it was so amazing. So City Montessori School is a Baha'i-inspired school. It is the largest school in the world. 57,000 students. What? It is 61... Is it it online or digital? No, no. No, it's an actual school? Oh no, it's an actual school. So that's bigger than like the University of Texas. Yeah, there are 18 campuses. So we might call it like a charter school network here or a private school. But still, it's, you know, these people, the Ghanis are amazing people. And so it's been around for 61 years it started with five students is it essentially their version of k through six it's a it's actually pre-k through 12 oh wow yeah absolutely and they are like 55 students in each class teeny teeny tiny they've always been about moral education but now that they've been utilizing the five strategies and the virtues it's not just something that the teachers are doing to the students the whole head office has embraced it right it's it's leaking out into the community there's such passion for a purpose there it's um i had the honor of going down a year ago when they held a character education conference and they just were touched i guess by the virtues themselves and the strategies that they asked me to go back last this summer and i trained 600 of their educators pre-primary and primary 10 straight days of training really hot in india they were so on fire with it that they asked me to come back this past January and spend a month. So they have virtues leaders that are arising to serve. They have like a thousand how, how junior many teachers? Youth. How many teachers are we talking about? I think that they have 3,000. I could be wrong. Holy moly. But yeah. And I interrupted a thousand junior youth. Yeah. A thousand junior youth. So they're living the strategies. They're using the virtues. Do they incorporate the junior youth spiritual empowerment program into their yes, education? Yes, they do. Mm-hmm. And and basically what it is, it's, it's an elective, but so many of the children, so many of the folks are starting to really want to do this because they're feeling the difference in the power. Talk about radiant hearts. I mean, I think what I, I didn't want to come home. I called my husband and said, I'm not coming home, honey. (laughs) Their openness is just incredible. Mm -hmm. And I've been, there's um, one young woman from our community back home, Miriam, who went down there to spend a year of service. And so she's basically virtues, boots on the ground. Yeah. And she's been able to keep things alive. And the president, Gita, who is the daughter of the founders, and Roshan, her nephew, they're just, they're really, really steadfast. And they're shifting. They created a video talking about their experience. And so it's it's really allowing them to bring their full selves there, their mm. Baha'i self and their educator self. Mm. Mm. That's amazing. What, a, what an incredible experience. And we were talking earlier about, you know, 
the meaning of life, the purpose of life. And you, you said it, you know, so succinctly and uh, with such passion. Can you, can you share what kind of what we were talking about? Yeah, it's like, how do we connect the Virtues Project, my life, the Baha'i faith? I mean, there's a twofold moral purpose, right? First one is to know and love God. Mm-hmm. And then the second one is we're here to acquire our virtues. Right. Like, what more sacred work can somebody do? And my one of my favorite quotes, please, right, is, Oh, my servant, the best of men are they that earn a livelihood by their calling and spend upon themselves and upon their kindred for the love of God, the Lord of all worlds. Like, Rain, who gets to do this? Mm. And who gets to sit with you and talk about virtues? I'm oh. so grateful. So recently, you went to the first ever, first annual Pupil of the Eye conference started by Barbara Talley, who I really want to get on the show. Absolutely. Um, tell me about that experience. Oh my gosh, it was really powerful. So Barbara is a dear friend of mine, and I have been doing a lot of work in the past six years in the area of race and equity. And as a white woman of privilege, and I don't mean monetarily, when I say white privilege, I mean when I taught my son how to drive, I didn't have to have the talk with him right. of how to not get pulled over. Sure. When I go shopping, I go shopping, unlike beautiful Barbara. She gets mm-hmm. followed around, right? And so just the injustice. And so I'm coming little by little to understand just what this country has been grounded on and founded on, right? Yeah. The injustice. I actually took Joy's course, right? And I know Joy mm. was on here. Yeah. And so um, I went as a, as a supporter, right? As an ally and as an accomplice in the work and really just to be a service. And I struggled. I thought, well, you know what? Maybe it's not my place. And I talked to another friend of ours and Barbara wanted us there. So went just to serve and, and to, to be a witness and to hold the space. And it was powerful and painful at the same time. Mm. What was powerful was there's like, they've got soul, right? I mean, Van, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Van right? Gilmer. Van the, Gilmer. Yeah, you know, there choral was... Choral conductor, choir leader, musician, composer. Yep, and Eric Dozier. There were so many people and so many voices there elevating and just having this soulful experience. And then also sharing about how we as Baha'is, even Baha'is are racist mm. and are not... Um, not honoring of our pupil of the eyes who are supposed to be held with such reverent and esteem mm-hmm. in our communities. And that somehow people are, are just saying, oh, oh, when there's a seeker that happens to be African-American saying, oh, oh, I want you to meet my friend, my black friend, right? And and just, there's just this, I don't know if it's it's microaggressions or macroaggressions, but there is incredible pain in the African-American community and mistrust. There is pain in the African-American community in general, but you're saying specifically the Baha'i. The Baha'is, right? From being part Baha'is because we're supposed to be about unity and Mm -hmm. oneness of humanity. And the, you know... Following in Abdu'l-Baha's example where... He, he created, you know, he said pupil of the eye, invented the phrase and incorporated African-Americans, Louis Gregory, yeah. and, uh, placed him at his right hand and challenged social mores and following in his example, yes? It's not okay 
we've got to learn. It's not the African Americans in our community, it's not their responsibility to teach us about racism or how not to be racist and to deal with our white fragility. We have to do our own work. And we need to read and study, you know, the advent of divine justice. And we need to be patient and patient and patient and patient and patient and keep being patient and keep coming and showing love and creating that trust because there is so much pain. And so I'm just really committed to being of service. Mm. And it was really important to me to elevate this and elevate Barbara and her daughter Radiance, mm. right? Who mm. just, the, you should hear their poetry. They're spoken words. Yeah, and it she's a poet too. Right? Divine, yeah, yeah. amazing, beautiful. Please have both Barbara and Radiance on. Okay. They're now amazing. you're pushing it. You're pushing the envelope here. Okay. Well, you we'll know, see how it goes. assertiveness <laughs> is a virtue. What can I that say? Is, I applaud your assertiveness. Thank you. That's, That's fantastic. Kind of you. What an incredible conversation this has been. Really enlightening. Uh, makes me want to reinvest in the virtues again in so many different ways. But. Just personally speaking, and I ask this of most of my guests, what are your current spiritual struggles? What are you what are you most struggling with? Oh my gosh, it's so interesting. I was thinking about this today. So um, I believe that we teach what we need to learn, right? And so a lot of my work has been about self-esteem. And recently, Dave and I have invested all of our money, this whole thing, the money stuff, right? And in the project that you're doing. In the project that mm-hmm. we're doing, okay. right? So we bootstrapped the whole project. And when I was in India, I broke my arm, mm-hmm. not at City Montessori School, at another school. And when I came home, I didn't want to get an x-ray because I didn't have the money to pay for it, right? And so I was talking to a friend. They're like, that's cool. I will give you money. Like, you need to go get get that taken care of. I'm like, no, that's stupid, right? And then somebody else said it to me. You need to go, like, get an x-ray. We'll pay for it. I'm like, no. No, that's stupid. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. Worthiness. I'm celebrating 30 years in Al-Anon. I know I'm worthy. The work I'm doing is worthy. What's the, what's the message in this? And then I thought, hmm, you know, Dave and I have been bootstrapping this project. What would happen if we felt worthy, or yeah. I'll, I'll keep the focus on myself, and either asked people to invest or ask for guidance or did something for, what if we had a $100,000? What if we had $500,000, a million dollars? What could we do to really get this project out there? And it started me thinking about the money. And then I thought, okay, so when, and here's the lesson, when the app goes viral and we make the millions so that I can give millions away, then I can just serve the faith. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. There are plenty of people who are serving the faith full time that ain't got no money. Mm -hmm. So it's really still a little bit about the worthiness and allowing abundance to happen Mm. because I, I fully believe that when I'm freed up a little bit more financially, that I'm going to be able to do what my heart is really longing to do, and that's to be of service to whomever, wherever, and in whatever capacity, and spread the Virtues Project and uplift humanity. So yeah, that's where I am still (laughs) on this journey of worthiness. Thank you so much for sharing that. And what would you like people to walk away with here after this conversation? Yeah, so... I'm super grateful, Rain. Thank you for your openness to having me. I think that 
just remembering that we are all noble beings and that the virtues themselves and the virtues card, even the virtues app is just a reminder and that our language, not just the language that we use with others, but to ourselves is really, really important. So when we can use the virtue and the evidence, and I'll model in one second, that that is one of the simplest ways to heal hearts Mm. and uplift humanity. So at the end of our time together, instead of saying, thanks for having me on, I'll probably say, Rain, thank you for your openness, having me on, and your deep commitment to doing this work for so long to be of service to the world. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you for your enthusiasm and your inspiration. What's the evidence? The evidence is I feel inspired by your words. All right. Thank you for letting me hold you accountable to that, Rain. <laughs> we could we could do this all night, folks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Baha'i Blogcast. Hope you enjoyed the episode and the conversation. Check out more fun Baha'i stuff on Baha'iblog.net. Thank you so much, and good night.